Hi there, I'm David Harvey, and I'm here with John Andrews, and this is the Two Techs Podcast. In this podcast, we're two friends in two different countries, here with you every two weeks talking about two different texts from the Bible. In this season, as we enter our second year of podcasting together, we step beyond the stories of Jesus in the Gospels and into the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a series of stories and events from the early church when they encounter the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. So David, last time we left the sort of what felt like quite a dark, cynical, cold moment where like Herod reaches out with the intent of persecuting some members of the church, but puts James, brother of John to the sword and it feels really almost matter of fact in the way that Luke described and we we reflected on the fact wow that just maybe maybe Luke records it like that because he wants us to feel the sort of darkness Mm. and cynicism of this particular moment of a of a political pragmatist but again even within this this passage in chapter 12 there's another gear shift that like it moves again and and we we move into an incredible story, a contrast story of the most profound level. It seems mm. we've just had the execution of the first apostle in James, and now we get this incredible story about about Peter in in prison and and being rescued in prison. So shall we sh- shall we jump in, read that together, and reflect on that? Yes, let's let's do it. I'm going to read from chapter twelve, verse five through to around about verse 19. And, and this will set up, again, an interesting contrast. We had this one sentence of James was put to death. And now we get this long focus on, on Peter who goes to prison. But, well, let's see what happens. It says this. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. People knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion amongst the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, to, to sort of probably get the, the awkward bit out of the way immediately, it, you're confronted immediately with a paradox of one apostle being executed. Yes. And the other one escaping or totally. being helped to escape. And you go, whoa. And, and at, at one level, and what, what I love about how Dr. Luke writes this is he doesn't, he writes it in such a way that you're seeing the stark contrast. You can't avoid the fact, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Yeah. James gets killed. Peter gets a free pass. What's going on yeah. here? What what on earth is happening? And, and, and of course, we are- it happens at Passover, where we remember from Luke that Jesus didn't get a free pass either, despite praying, take this cup from me. It, it's, right. I mean, so the starkness of the contrast can be expanded even, can't it? Yeah, yeah. And and it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like Luke makes any attempt to explain that. No. It's just what it is, right? And and we're sort of left, oh, so pastorally, you're you're trying to sit down with John afterwards and trying to explain to John, well, John, James, Peter, it it, it you you are you are confronted with this mysterious paradoxical moment that isn't explained. And we're just the two things are sitting side by side. And and somehow I find even without the explanation, I find some measure of comfort in that. I find, mm. okay, mm. here's here's a good moment, a celebra- a celebratory moment. Everyone, Peter's got out of prison, and a terrible, dark, and grievous moment. James is dead, and um, mm. after we celebrate Peter getting out, we're going to bury James. So, so you, it's it's a it's a moment, isn't it? And and even at a pastoral level, wow. Okay, can't explain that. But it just is the way it is. I mean, even just to just to sort of bookend that, what do you make of the line in verse in verse seventeen? Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Mm. Do you yeah. see that? And yeah. I, I I don't know that I'd ever really noticed that before in my own kind of reading of the text. I mean, do you think that's? I mean, like I say, I, I've. I just, as we were prepping for this particular recording, it struck me that you, you, let me say this better than I'm currently failing to. When I was reading the text, it hit me again. There's parts of this remind me of reading like Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, right? The, mm-hmm. the attention to detail and the contrast of James doesn't get rescued <laughs> and he gets one sentence. James, the brother of John, yeah. put to death with the sword. Peter does get rescued and we're getting right the way down to there was an iron gate leading to the city yeah. <laughs> and it opened for them. I mean, do you know what I mean? But I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I say it reminds me of Lewis's writing in Narnia. 
But it's like very detailed, this story is. The length of one street, the angel tells him, wrap your cloak around you. The chains fell off the wrist. I mean, it's like in real attention to detail at this part of the story. Almost as if, I mean, but Peter is unaware of what's going on. And do we get to the end here? And is Peter now, I mean, I, I, I don't know, is Peter now, unaware of james's death at this point Mm -hmm. you know what 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 do you what do you take on that yeah i i i love that little thing at the end where he where he says go and go and tell james and then it seems that peter then gets out as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. so he he takes the hint and and heads for the hills sort of thing Uh, it's 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 striking that he entrusts the story to mary's household and maybe even to mary herself which again has a beautiful nuance there in terms of uh, women being entrusted and part of the proclamation process but but also maybe maybe we have this detail as a reminder even though we've had this shocking execution of james and where it, it seems the Lord did nothing, the detail of the story with Peter shows that the Lord is still at work and the Lord is still rescuing and the Lord is still able, even under the nose of Herod. I, I tell you where I saw a little contrast, David, which might be too much of a stretch. I noticed that when we were reading about Herod, it said that Herod mistreated or persecuted the church. And and I, I noticed that actually Stephen used the same word of oppression or doing evil when speaking of Pharaoh in his defense. Mm-hmm. And he, he, Stephen says this in Acts 7. He said, he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers. So, so if, if you go back to that amazing story, you have again the same tension. You have a tension of people suffering terribly and some of them even dying. And yet at the same time, a rescue, an exodus rescue is literally in play. Mm. And a nation of people will, will come out of Egypt into freedom. And, and it, feels, it feels like there's a similar vibe here in chapter 12. You've got the oppression of a king. He has, to some extent, been successful in that oppression. And yet the detail of the story is showing that God can right under the nose of the oppression of that king do something that is truly miraculous and yes. other and supernatural. And and is it is it not only a way of, of comforting us that even in the death of God's saints, there's also deliverance, but also the fact of the detail of the story saying that God can do the miraculous even when it is completely impossible for him to achieve that. And somehow both ends of the story bring comfort in the context of of both our suffering and our expectation of deliverance. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a really, I mean, the, these little threads that run through this are really interesting where you see exactly as you're saying, they are contrasted constantly with the one who we'll find out by the end of chapter 12 thinks he is a god, right? Mm. And, I mean, you look at, he arbitrarily kills James. And then by the Mm. end of this story, he's arbitrarily killing his own guards. There's a, all of these contrasts, I think Luke is brilliantly laying them next to each other. So you're in no doubt as to what Luke thinks is, 
is is going on here. It's yeah, I, no, I, I like what you, I like what you're saying. And the, the, the other thing is, so just going back to James, which again, this is awkward. This is really awkward. When when we saw the execution of Stephen, what mm. Luke gave us was a magnificent after story. Mm. That even though this is a brutal execution, actually Luke's able to point to the fact something really amazing comes out of the death of Stephen. Yeah. When you're confronted with the death of James in chapter 12, nothing. He's just mm-hmm. he's just killed. Yes. And you get this sense of what seems to be senseless, purposeless, and it's not developed in any way. It just happens. And again, the sort of matter-of-factness of the early church almost taking in its stride the fact that martyrdom, persecution, suffering is is, and I don't want this to sound glib. Is sort of part of the package. It's part mm-hmm. of the deal. We've been shocked by Stephen's execution. Now, now Luke just goes, yeah, and James was killed. And, and when then we we sort of move on in, into the next part of the story. And I, that sense that even we're not even given any something goods come out of that. It's yes. just he's he's suffered and he's died. And that that really does then show the other side of this, where God is at work, still growing his church, still protecting his people, but almost at the same time saying to us, but there will be cost and there will be unexplained things and there will be moments when we cannot square that circle. Mm-hmm. But 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 the kingdom of God goes on and the church goes on. And and I know I'm, I'm struggling to explain that, but, but that mm-hmm. sort of that tension, that juxtaposition within the chapter is really dramatic yeah. and really, really deep, deeply challenging. And, and that's, I think that's worth thinking about throughout Acts. Even as we talked about in our last episode, there's all of this stuff going on. All of these things have happened to key characters in this story. Caiaphas, Pilate, and, and Luke's not telling us about any of these things. It, mm. It's like he has the things that he wants us to understand. And he has the things that clearly he either assumes we understand or assumes that they're not actually that important to the story that he's telling. I think mm. it's a beautiful contrast of the story of the kingdom of God versus history. <laughs> mm. and, and that does leave you in these sort of moments here where it feels almost just matter of fact, this story about James, the brother of John. And... And I was I was teasing around with this just earlier, John. Let me just circle back to it for a second. But part of the reason I wanted to mention it is what does Peter think is going on here with the various Jameses? Is I think it's worth just being alert when you read Luke and Luke Acts. There's quite a few Jameses floating around, <laughs> and, and and I just wanted to sort of draw it to that. It's that, that when Luke tells you Peter at the answers tell James and the other brothers and sisters. Mm. I think you've got who have you got in there? You've got James the son of John. So this is one of the brothers of Zebedee, isn't it? That we would know. There's also James, the son of Alphaeus appears. Mm. There's, there's a James, the father of Judas. And then there's Mm. James, the son of Mary, who Mm. is also known as the brother of Jesus, Mm. which he's never described as in acts as the brother of Mm. Jesus. He just seems to be 
the only James is just referred to as James. So, which probably isn't that surprising to us that if you're Jesus's brother, you're the one that gets just to be James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the other Jameses, we're going to have to put a little bit of a data detail on them. And uh, well, you and me have both got common names as Johns and David. So we are used mm-hmm. to our whole life, somebody adding some other True. descriptor to who we True. are. Yeah. And, but it's fascinating that even to this here, Luke holds to that without any great sense of needing mm. to clarify that, that sort of thing. But, but it's still significant. I mean, this is James, the son of Zebedee. is a big character yeah. in the Christian story. And just, yeah, just sort of move. Um, uh, of course, we're, we're sort of reminded of that incredible conversation that James, his brother, and their mother has with Jesus when she and they are angling for the best seats in the kingdom. Mm. And Jesus just, it's it's a moment where Jesus said, well, it's not for me to give the seats, but are are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Mm. And that without hesitation, it seems they go, yeah, we are. And here's James, it seems at some level, literally drinking that cup. Now we know that John, his brother, doesn't die strictly a martyr's death, but but the level of suffering that John goes through is mm. simply colossal. Yeah. And all of that original 12, with the exception of Judas, of course, and the exception of John, are executed. They they do end in violent deaths and in dying for the for the kingdom and dying for the cause. And and it just struck me in reflecting on James. Luke makes no explanation. And, and and pastorally, David, I don't know if you've discovered this. I don't want us to go somewhere. We don't want to go on this. But pastorally, sometimes there's just no answer. Pastorally, yes. sometimes, okay, Luke, I don't know what that is. I can't explain that to you. To try and explain that to you will feel really crass. So I'm not going to explain it to mm. you. Well, well, why did Peter get released in James? I don't know. I don't know. So you just have to put that down to... A sovereign providential plan of heaven that will ultimately work things for its glory and even within that for our good. But mm. there are some things I just can't explain. And James gets taken out, and I'm not even sure why in that mm. context, but it's it's there. And it reminds us that for the early church, death and persecution was a constant threat. Mm-hmm. And something that was almost on the induction package when you yes. when you joined. Okay, yeah, eternal life, check. Holy Spirit, check. Going to heaven, check. Oh, possible martyrdom and definite persecution, check, check. These are things that were sort of on the induction list. And yes. the early church for, for hundreds of years experienced that reality. Well, and in parts of the world today still, doesn't it? And still does. The- I, I like I like what you're saying there a lot. I, I think it is I think it's really important pastoral advice to sometimes note that well, number one, even if we could discover the why, it rarely brings comfort mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. But also I think that making the why and the logic and the reason a primary concern as a pastor to explain death, I think could be hugely hurtful mm-hmm. and and actually quite damaging to people 
And also, I think at a theological level, evil and chaos are are very similar things. I've been reflecting a lot in, in other study I've been working on at the minute, John, about how the creation story begins mm-hmm. with God bringing order to chaos. To chaos. Mm-hmm. And the moment that sin joins, with, the moment the humans start listening to something other than God, and we end up with, with the humans moving into a world of, which we understand becomes a world of sin, what you see is the re-entry of chaos. You Absolutely. look at how this, this good garden becomes chaotic all of a sudden. Mm. Mm. And I think there's a human desire for logic and sense and a need for us to, con- to, to confess pastorally that, that death is part of the chaos. And if we go looking for sense in death, we're trying to look for... The, the wrong thing in the wrong places. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm probably off the cuff describing that as sensitively as I should be, but but I think we should resist. Here's, here's what I have in mind. I, I had a conversation with a young person just recently, and I realized that as I get older, what I define a young person is a very different <laughs> thing. But I mean a teenager. A teenager who is talking to me about their... A, a loss of, of, of one of their parents. And I'm stood there, John, having this conversation thinking, I mean, I, like, goodness me, like both my parents are still with me. Like you've lost a parent, your mm. parents jump, but they lived long, good. I'm yeah. suddenly talking to a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't wish to be disrespectful to your story, John, when I say that, but you know, like I'm standing with a no, teenager no. and, mm. And he's asking me theological questions about this. And and I just and, and what I felt myself, I said to this to this young man, I said to him, I said, I just want you to hear something. I said, God's not happy about any of this. Right? This is not God's plan. And please don't let anybody ever tell you that your loss was God's plan. Right? This is, mm. you know, God God's plan is life and goodness and wholeness. And we know this mm. through the Easter story, right? But, but so many people are, are looking for, oh, we must make sense of this so that this young person can say, oh, it's all okay. But we do this horrible tragedy then by saying to young people within, or any person suffering extreme loss as if, oh, this is what God wanted. And I always feel like saying, go read the Genesis story. This is not what God wanted. This is the furthest thing from what God wanted. And the cross and resurrection shows us that God doesn't want this. So perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm not being helpful with what following up from what you were saying, John, but for me, I think that death and evil will always feel chaotic because mm. because they are and God is pushing against them and we have to accept aspects of that that every one of us will die but that ultimately God has something beyond this and let's not do more damage to people in the short term by trying to help them get out of their sadness by making out like it's okay God God wanted it to be like this I mean yeah. am, am I making am I making sense there John nope. No, I, 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 well, it makes total sense to me, and, and I think I think what I hear from you is that that's resist the glibness, that's resist yes. the easy, superficial answer. This is God. Luke doesn't reach for this here. Nope. Luke just tells us Herod reached out and killed James, and it, there's no explanation. There's no yeah. This is because oh, and this is what came out of it. 
we just get the tragic, terrible, chaotic, dark, cynical moment of which now the church feels the impact of that. And and I think we, we must resist reaching for the superficial answer, which may not actually be a helpful answer at all. And it seems that an example like this shows us that the church had to just accept and confront certain things that it could never explain this side of eternity. But we've got to get on and and keep going and keep and 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 I love the way I love the way Luke brings the contrast here, David. You get this you get this incredible moment, or you get this incredible sense of Herod's power. He reaches out, he grabs, he persecutes, he kills, then he takes Peter, and then we get he puts Peter in prison, surrounded by 16 soldiers. <laughs> so, so, so you're getting an incredible sense of power here for probably four squads of four soldiers, each of them looking after the different watches of the night. So this is a man now, a single individual, not a military commander. He's not a strategist. He's not a terrorist. This is a, this is a religious figure under guard 24-7 from 16 soldiers. <laughs> and up to this point, up to that point, you get the sense of, my goodness, his power is absolute. His power is unchallenged. He has all this power to kill, to persecute, and now to imprison. And there is no way that Peter is getting out of this. And in verse 7 tells us, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears. So, so you get this, again, I, I love the way Dr. Luke is writing this, that if you look on the surface of it, there is no way we can resist Rome. There is no way we can resist Herod. There is no way that the church can withstand this level of persecution. And then suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. And it's the little reminder in the story. And, and maybe this is the part of the point of it, the reminder in the story. Actually, no matter how dynamic Herod is, no matter how high his wall, no matter how many soldiers he has, no matter how many chains he puts on your feet, there is always the possibility of a suddenly in God. God can do a suddenly, which is just above and beyond anything that we've seen before, even, even in the light of James being executed. And I love that little reminder. Hey, Herod is not in charge. It looks like he is, but he's actually not. Well, it's it's not lost on me that, again, I keep looking ahead to this, as to when we get to the story at the end of this chapter, you realize how not in control Herod is. But I, I think it's interesting to your point that you've got, I mean, this beautifully articulate story. There's four squads of four soldiers. Now we're binding Peter up. He's literally sleeping between two yeah. soldiers. Right? Yeah. But, but I started to think, is the telling of this story intentionally alluding to all sorts of different things? And maybe I'm just having fun here, John, with it. But mm. the So Peter's in prison. The church is earnestly praying for him. He's between two soldiers. So, and I'm, because I, I, I found myself on this track of, um, I'm thinking about this is all happening at Passover. Jesus' death is at Passover. Jesus is between two thieves. You know, you, you, there's that sort of imagery. And I'm, not all of this is just, I think it's curious in, in that sense. He's bound with two chains. So I was thinking about that. Then we've got sentries standing guard at the entrance. That reminds me of the tomb, of, 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 of people guarding the tomb. 
But then even just with our conversation that we were having just a moment ago about chaos and order, this is all happening around a trial, which again seems to be a Passover theme. Interestingly, by the way, James doesn't get a trial as far as we're aware in this. But then there's this angel of the Lord, another kind of interesting theme at this point, and and a light shining in the cell. I love this notion of light breaking into the darkness. So there's almost like creation themes going on here. That this there's chaos and 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 Peter appears out of control, and then light comes in. I don't know. I just found and and then, and even just language about get up, take your cloak. Yeah follow me starts to sound like Jesus in his healing miracles, doesn't it? I mean, it I'm just, really I'm just having fun here, but there's so many oh, interconnected no. ideas. No. And, and the, the one, well, the one I thought, I thought you were going to, which I thought was, was definitely, I, I, it, I thought, is this a stretch? But, but I'll, I'll show it anyway. It's not only is there a strong Passover thing, but I, I think there's a bit of a resurrection vibe going on there as well. Mm, mm. So you get this, Quick rise up, get up language and his chains fall off. And then I love this. The angel, verse 8 says, put on your clothes and sandals and wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Now, this is really strange. It's like the angel is saying, just reminding Peter, by the way, get dressed, sort yourself out. But then, David, honestly, I had a moment. And you know where your brain leaps to something and you go, no, that that can't that can't be connected. But I'll throw it out there. Our, our listeners are now well used to these random bits and pieces that we do. When the angel says to Peter, put on your clothes and your sandals and wrap your cloak around you, I was reminded immediately of the post-resurrection story of Jesus and Peter on the beach. And they're getting into, after they do the Peter, do you love me bit, they get into a little bit of detail about Peter's demise. And listen to these words. This is this Jesus speaking. You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and they will lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. <laughs> so I'm looking at that and I'm and I'm just wondering, right? Peter is sleeping between the two soldiers. Does Peter think James is done? I'm done. Okay, there's no point worrying about it. I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen. And almost Peter has given himself that he's about to die. And yet the angel of the Lord comes and there is this, without stretching it too far, this resurrection moment, this release moment, the light into the darkness, this resurrection moment. And then as if to absolutely say to Peter, you're not going to die. He says to Peter, dress yourself, put your sandals on. Because, because Jesus hinted very strongly, when your moment of death comes, someone else will dress you, someone else will lead you, someone else will, will sort of take control of this. And, and here's, here's Peter being allowed to dress himself. And, mm. and then you get this lovely link to, to John, John 21, the final words of Jesus, follow me, and the final words of the angel to Peter, follow me. And, and you get this gorgeous connection. Now, me and you could have just had too much pizza last night and we're just getting far too excited about things that aren't there. But at the very least, there are beautiful echoes and nuances here that are that are deeply providential and they are connecting big stories and showing us 
that even when Jesus died on the cross and it looked like everything was finished, God was at work and the resurrection was coming. When it looks here like Herod is in control and he's got the whole of the city locked down and the church is under his boot, the angel of the Lord shows up and a resurrection moment takes place and God shows, no, no, I'm still at work and I'm still doing what I need to do. I love it, John. I love it. I mean, and I think that at some level, what we're seeing in this passage, and there's so much attention to detail, the iron gate and the first and second guards, it's, it strikes me that there's a lot of imagery going on here that's very, very intentional. I was thinking it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how it's like quick to get up, like it's like be resurrected with haste is, is mm. a, another way you could translate beautiful. that passage. Yeah. So it's hard to believe that in a, a movement like early Christianity, be raised with haste doesn't at least kind of make you think about the resurrection. The light shining in the cell, again, hmm, interesting what's going on there. But of course, Angel is a, it's a messenger of the Lord. Like mm. Angelos mm. is just mm. a transliteration, really, of the word mm. messenger. Is it overly surprising to us that messengers of the Lord sound like the Lord? They say the sort of things that you're remembering the Lord saying. I was looking when you were talking at John 21, bearing in mind just before the interaction that you've just mentioned, Peter had taken his clothes off. And then when he sees it's Jesus, he wraps his outer garment around himself yes. and jumps into the water. So yes. there's the, 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 the kind of notion of Peter's dress and what he's wearing and following are, 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 are there in this story. Mm. And if these are stories that are well told of Peter, it's not surprising that Luke might be picking up on them and enjoying them. Mm. Uh, mm. And, and I, I love the fact as well that following all of that on, I, I love the Greek of, it, we translate it, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. And uh, that uh, I just love the, the nature of the Greek that he did not know that what was happening was true. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, and and I, I don't know why, I just like that. I like that notion of, oh, you're in the midst of something true here. Peter, you know what I mean? It's, it's, this is actually going on around about you. It's mm. quite, and, and then you get this beautiful line, the Lord has sent his messenger and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the, 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 these Jewish people were hoping would happen to me. It's, 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 really, it's really quite a, like a fascinating piece of text there, isn't it? It is, it is. And, it, I, and again, I, I think the way Luke writes that it reminds us that when when death seems to reign, there is a God of resurrection at work. That when power seems to have its way, God is able to invade a prison cell. He's able to break chains and he's able to rescue. And, and as the church continues to expand, they have to remember that there will be losses. There will be moments when a James... And people like them will lose their lives for the cause of the kingdom. But that even in the darkness of a prison cell, light shines, the angel of the Lord appears and resurrection life continues to grow. And of course, as as we bring that to an end, John, it, it, it's then more humorous, perhaps, in all of the profundity of this moment. Peter is going to come to the people who are praying for him and maybe not get exactly what he expects. 
Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with either of us about something we said, you can reach out to us on podcast at twotexts.com or by liking and following the Two Texts podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you really did enjoy the episode, then we'd love it if you left a review or a comment where you're listening from. And if you really enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget that you can listen to all of our podcasts from this season and others at www.2text.com. But that is it for now. So until next time, goodbye.